We talk a lot about internal innovation, but what happens when everyone around you is not up to speed? Well, Graham from Border Buddy is back. Yes, our industry resident expert is back to debate with me on this hot topic. If you missed that episode last week, make sure to tune in at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 56. Welcome to Let's Talk Supply Chain. My name is Sarah Barnes-Humphrey, and each week I bring you the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, new innovation, and most up-to-date information about supply chain. I believe that collaboration is the future of business, and I have designed this show to ensure you have all the information you need to succeed in business and in your supply chain. This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder, has to say. How long does it take you to get a duty rate or guidance on the right HS classification from your current customs broker? With Border Buddy's new revolutionary self-service technology, you will never go traditional again. We have created a platform that allows you to get instant quotes on duties, taxes, and customs fees to import your products into North America. To get 10% off your first clearance, sign up at borderbuddy.com forward slash let's talk supply chain. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. The show is growing and more people are tuning in each and every week. So I want to do a shout out and send my love and appreciation to everyone that helps make this happen and who listens to the show, participates every Wednesday in Listener's Corner, guests, sponsors, reader of the news, new blog, and everyone who shows their support on social media. If you haven't checked it out, make sure sure to go to my new YouTube channel, The SC, and subscribe because I will be releasing my first video series, which is called Data Insights with Jill Clifford of Aborn and Company very, very shortly. Plus, there is so much more to come in April. So today is part 17 of my Woman in Supply Chain series. But before I tell you who she is, let's get to Listener's Corner. And the question of the week came from Jeffrey Sullivan. And and it was about blank sailings. How do you mitigate the risk of blank sailings? How are they affecting your business? And I actually took a little bit of a different approach this week. And I wanted to comment and uh, bring some dialogue from some articles that the JOC wrote after TPM about this specific subject. So I'm going to tell you a little bit, give you a little sneak peek into that article. And then I'm going to post that on this episode at letstalksupplychain.com. So one of the articles says US importers and exporters should anticipate increased blank sailings in the coming weeks as carriers respond to declining imports from Asia and the seventh consecutive week of spot rate declines by attempting to match capacity with demand in the eastbound Pacific. Not only is capacity and demand forecast to be in relative balance this year, but carriers have become better at adjusting capacity to demand. Philip Damas, head of Drury's Supply Chain Advisors, said March 4th at the 2019 TPM conference in Long Beach. Carriers have already announced 35 blank sailings through 
through February and into early March, including 22 to the West Coast and 13 to the East Coast, compared with 11 last year, while oceans reliability fell to 40% in January, according to Sea Intelligence Maritime Consulting. Maritime analyst Alpha Liner in its March 6th to 12th newsletter noted that the Ocean Alliance of APL, CMA, CGM, Costco Shipping, OCL, and Evergreen canceled 10 additional Trans-Pacific sailings for March to April. This is the strongest sign of discipline by carriers we have seen since 2010, Damas told TPM 2019. So I will have those articles at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 57. Remember to send in your questions and be a part of the conversations every single Wednesday on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. But today, I'm excited to introduce you to Denise McDonald, Chief Technology Officer at Flash Global. We are going to be talking about her journey, biggest fears, advice, and so much more, including routines, a little bit of meditation. And I love it. I'm so glad that she was so authentic and she allowed me and trusted me to tell me her tell her story today. So if you want to learn more about Flash Global, check out the episode I did with Ryan Miller at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 48. But first, let's get to know Denise a little bit more. Denise McDonald, an expert in change management with a proven track record of shaping software applications to drive value added services to customers, took over as CTO in 2016. Denise's strategies, vision and ability to leverage technology and people to create a collaborative, efficient environment that always puts the customer first. After all, Flash is in the service services business is crucial to their success. Throughout her 15-year career, Denise had led, has led and worked in turnaround and startup efforts with small, midside, and Fortune 100 companies. As Vice President of Product Management for this technology, Denise led the company's transformation from an engineering-driven organization into one driven by product and software innovation. That successful evolution led Comcast Corporation to acquire this technology in 2015, and Denise was a appointed VP of advertising software, a role she held until coming to Flash. So welcome to the show, Denise. Thank you so very much, Sarah. I'm very happy to be here. And I am really looking forward to our chat today. I mean, it's not every day that I come across a female CTO, which we are going to get to in just a minute. So we learned a little bit about your journey in your bio, but tell us some of the hidden gems that weren't included. Really give us some insight of, you know, how you got started in the industry. Maybe it's supply chain, maybe it's technology. You know, where did you go and how did you end up as, as a CTO? Sure, sure. Happy to do so. Happy to do so. Thank you so very much for having me. Uh, so I've had a, a, an interesting and, and colored career path, actually, that, that's gotten me from when I started in a technology path all the way to where I am today as a CTO in the supply chain industry. Uh, I actually spent most of my career on a technology train. Uh, I actually started it in product marketing. And so I worked for, uh, I'm, I'm Canadian living in the U.S. And so I worked for a very uh, well-known Canadian company that sort of started my career in technology, a company called Nortel Networks. And at Nortel, the size of the company and the opportunity that I had there was tremendous, was tremendous. Uh, it was such a large organization that the opportunity to 
move and change careers and grow yourself inside a single organization was something that um, I took well advantage of when I worked there. And so I started in, in technology product marketing, really you know, came fresh out of school with a marketing background. And as I learned about the technology space and I learned about product marketing and what that looked like, uh, I started to become very interested in evolving my technical skill set. And that, that really launched my path into product management. And that's really where the, the color came in across my career path. Product management was really what started me down the path of getting to where I am today. If, uh, if anyone listening to this has ever been a product manager in your life, then you, you know that that role encompasses a broad variety of responsibility related to being the CEO, if you will, of your product. So I actually went through a number of career changes in that path. I worked for consumer packaged technology companies, so software on the shelf that you would go and buy. I'm, I'm dating myself, but you'd go into Best Buy or Target and buy some software, uh, boxed software off the shelf. Uh, I worked for cable technology companies and, and then all the way here into, into supply chain. And, and really what, what has helped me get to this point is continually being intellectually curious. I moved industry to industry, never actually staying in one industry for a long period of time. You know, five to seven years is the typical tenure that I've stayed in an industry and then looked for my next technology product or technology career in a new field, in a new industry. And that kept me very fresh and allowed me to be best prepared to take on the role I have today. I love that. And fellow Canadian, I know Nortel all too well. I, uh, <laughs> I, live, I live just outside of Toronto. And uh, so I, I know that company. I did not realize you were Canadian. So that is yeah. great. Really great. We'll have to talk about that as an aside after this. So. I love, you know, I love how you brought your story or, you know, really told your story um, around technology, product management, you know, really learning that kind of thing. But I want to know from you, and I know, you know, we ask women all the time because I think that it's such an individualized thing. But what does success mean or look like to you? That's a, it's a, that's a big question. Um so I'm going to look at this from kind of a holistic perspective. Success for me is, is a multifaceted concept. I'm a mother of three. Um, I'm a single income family. So success as I started my career was marrying someone who understood what my career path was going to look like. So my husband at a very early stage in our marriage recognized that he was going to probably be a stay-at-home dad. And he became a stay-at-home dad 15, 16 years ago before there weren't a lot of them out there. So that's part of what I attribute my success is really charting a course for where I was going in my career, understanding what I wanted to accomplish and surrounding myself with the right infrastructure, for lack of a better term, to, uh, to enable that to happen. And then from there, from a professional perspective, I said this uh, before and I'll say it again. I think intellectual curiosity is one of the most important aspects that someone should have as part of their toolbox when they're, when they're looking to grow their career and they're looking to be successful. Uh, because success to me is always being challenged, always. And putting yourself into some uncomfortable situations that, that allow you to grow as both an individual and a professional. And so I think that's part of why, for me, 
people ask, you know, what's it like to be a female CTO or what's it like to be a female CTO in a, in a male dominated industry like supply chain? And I say, it, it's no different than being uh, a male CTO, in my opinion, there's really no difference. It's just a matter of recognizing what you bring to the table, looking around you and being curious about your environment and constantly challenging yourself to be better and learn more. That sense of being comfortable with being uncomfortable, I think is very, very important to the growth and the success of someone in their career. Absolutely. And I like what you said, you know, about it being challenging for either side and, you know, really knowing what you bring to the table. But some people, especially in technology, when it, you know, when it comes to a male dominated industry, not only is technology very male dominated, supply chain is still very male dominated as well. So how did you find your voice? How did you find your way of really knowing what you brought to the table and how to articulate that and make sure that you could move and shake within that environment and really speak up and be heard. Sure. Well, if, if anyone that knows me knows that I, I never lost my voice, so I was never looking to find it. <laughs> um, okay, okay, good point. <laughs> that's, a very key, uh, that's a very key character trait, I think, of anyone who, who is in a position where uh, you're surrounded by male counterparts, honestly. Having a voice in the first place, never feeling like you've lost it, never feeling like you're looking for it is incredibly important. You have to have confidence in the experience base that you have and what you do bring to the table and use that experience as your voice. So for me, that's I've, I always speak from that place of knowledge and I am also very transparent, and I think it's important for individuals to be very transparent when you don't know. So this, this, I'm not a big fan of things like fake it till you make it. That's not my philosophy. Be honest and be transparent about the things that you aren't so sure about, but ask questions about them. Be vocal about it. Why did you say that? Or why do you think that around the table when you're sitting there with your peers? To me, that's more important than, than feeling like, oh, I don't know enough, so I shouldn't ask a question, or I may come off as silly or not very knowledgeable, and, and I don't want to cut my political capital down by doing so. I think it's incredibly important because creating that base of, hey, I'm human, and I know what I bring to the table, and I know what I'm good at, but I also recognize what I don't know, and I need you to tell me and help to teach me as my peer, and that, that tends to put... Um, people in a different mindset and a different frame of mind when they talk to you. Yeah. And it's the way that you ask that question as well too, right? Absolutely. Um, using something like, what do you mean exactly? If there's something that you don't understand or you need a bit more context around it, there is nothing wrong with asking, what do you mean exactly? Because it also makes them think about what they're talking about to put it into context that you're going to understand. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so taking that into, you know, where I am today in my career, I, I entered the supply chain industry, never having worked in the supply chain industry in the past at all. It was not part of my repertoire. It was not part of my experience base, but I wasn't hired. And typically people are not always hired just for their industry experience. I was hired for my expertise and knowledge in the technology realm. And so I used that when I had my seat at the table with the rest of my male counterparts. That was my thing. That was what I was good at. And that's what I could talk very competently about. And then the rest of it was 
again, intellectual curiosity about the supply chain industry and the supply chain uh, market. And what don't I know? What, what do you think I need to know? Ultimately, recognizing there's a balance between the expertise you bring and the industry knowledge that you have. And you don't have to necessarily be an expert in both. As long as you know what you are an expert in, it's one or the other. Yeah. And again, ask those questions in the in the places that, that you're not, really. Absolutely. All right. So let's get into maybe some of the challenges um, that you've encountered in your career. Can you give us a real life example of some of the challenges that you have faced in your career and maybe how you've overcome them? Because I'm a really big proponent of understanding challenges that people have had, but also understanding how they faced them, how they overcame them. Sure, sure. Um, Well, I think... So let me let me think about some some big challenges that I've had in my career. But you always have challenges dealing with people, uh, whether those are people you work with, whether those are people you work for, or whether those are people that work for you. Um, and so there have been examples where I've had individuals on my team that I've struggled with in terms of their opportunity and their growth specifically individuals who've been, and and I've seen this now in a couple of industries, because I've worked in some industries that are pretty um, uh, long in the tooth, I guess, you know, the the cable industry, lots of people who've worked in the cable industry for a long, long time, lots of people who've worked in supply chain for a long, long time. And so sometimes when you inherit a team or you inherit an organization, you face challenges to understand how much of the, ch- the change that you want to bring to the table, because that's something I, I truly embrace in any new role is change management and, and being a change agent. You have people that can't keep up or you have people that are just resistant to come along with you. And again, like I am with, with all of the way that I operate, you got to tackle it head on. You have to sit individuals down and you need to understand where their fear is coming from, why they're resistant to change, why they are uncomfortable with the change. And in some cases, it's simply a matter of working through an action plan with them to get them comfortable, putting them either in a different role, putting them in a different scope. And then you do have individuals that just, they don't want to. They're very happy with the way things are now and the way things are now need to change. And so therefore they have to recognize that and move on or you have to help them recognize that and move on. So that's one example of, you know, challenges that you face being in an executive position where typically you're brought in to create change. Resistance to change can be a big, big thing to overcome. Yeah. And how to navigate that with your words. Right. Really understanding the, uh, the other person, where they're coming from, what their background is and what they would respond to. That's right. That's right. And that's, you know, I, I, I think that that's a skill that inherently, um, people have within them to be empathetic, to be responsive and a good listener when you have people that are struggling. And to have those uncomfortable, they can be uncomfortable conversations for some people. They're, they're not for others, but it is a skill set that sometimes I think executives get to points in their career where they haven't honed in on that. They haven't really figured out how to be empathetic to the rest of the environment. And so, yeah, your words matter a lot. The questions you ask matter a lot. And that helps to create opportunity either to, for that employee to move on to something else that's better for them in the, in the workforce or for them to move on to a different company. 
Absolutely. Now I'm going to take another sort of direction on this just a little bit because I think that there is so much information out there. You talk about the continuing education and, and always taking a look at what you don't know and, and upgrading those skills, but there's so much information that comes to us on a daily basis, whether it's in our personal lives, in our business lives. And I've spoken to a few women, you know, that are just sort of starting out in the industry and they feel overwhelmed, you know, by the new technology, by the information, by the demands. So how do you as an executive, obviously you're, you've probably got three times more of that coming at you on a daily basis. So how do you keep from getting overwhelmed, but also looking and taking those necessary steps to keep educated and keep on top of things? Sure. So I'll tackle the, um, I'll tackle the education question first, and then I'll tackle, you know, not becoming overwhelmed. And, and I recognize that there's a certain, there's, you reach a certain point in your career when some of this becomes directly applicable and, and you grow into that. So from an education perspective, I roll my sleeves up and I get in the weeds, period. So when I take on a new role or a new company or a new industry, the how I educate myself is I actually do drink from the proverbial fire hose by rolling up my sleeves and, and being part of what's going on. So in supply chain, that meant rolling up my sleeves, going into the warehouses and actually watching what was going on, asking, and, and again, that curiosity, asking the questions, why do you do that that way? Why are you using the system that way? Why is the system doing this for you versus that for you? And just asking those questions because you learn by hands-on, I learn anyway, from hands-on experience. The same thing when it came to revamping our data center infrastructure is another example. Getting Going in the data center, watching what was going on. I mean, not standing over the shoulder of the employees from a a negative connotation, but like educate me, you know, show me how you do these things and then asking questions. So, so that's, that's how I educate myself, whether it's in the workforce, whether it's learning a new skill set or, or a new technology. I mean, my children come to me on a daily basis with some new app or some new thing that I've never heard of before. And the best way for me to learn is to jump in with both feet and try to try to figure it out. So that's that's how I operate from an education perspective. And then in terms of not being overwhelmed, one of the things I learned very early on in my career when I got into a managerial role is hire people that fill the gaps that you don't have the knowledge for. So I, you know, for example, coming into this role recognized as a chief technology officer what I was really good at, what I really understood was process design, it was change management. It was understanding how to structure that change in a way that could be rolled out and be impactful. But I didn't really understand or know a lot about some of the nitty gritties, right? Some of the really detailed stuff that is in the technology space. And so I hired people into my management team that were experts in that area. And they filled that gap for me. And they give me the relevant pieces of information that I need in order to be effective in my role. And I let them be effective in their role by being the experts. So you have to recognize it's very, very much a process of being self-aware and understanding your, your strengths and your weaknesses when you come into an environment and where you do have weaknesses, how are you going to fill those? And they can't always be, I'm going to fill them by learning myself. You have to recognize that you have to build a team and an infrastructure around you that supports you and fills those gaps in. 
Yeah. And that you can lean on, you know, to take a look at some of the things that are coming at you on a daily basis, new technology that's coming out. How is it going to help us? Will it help us? Is it something that we need to look at? You know, disseminate some of that information. Um, what do we need to know? What don't we need to know? What can we push aside and really help mitigate some of those demands as well? Absolutely. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you've, you, with the self-awareness piece, you totally transition into my next question really, really well, because <laughs> this, this is going to take a bit of a personal spin, um, because it's got a bit, bit of a personal connotation to it. Because what I want to ask you is, you know, do you have any particular routines and ways of coping with and keeping your mental health in check that has led to your success? And one of the reasons why I ask this question is because that I think that it is super important that we are, you know, grounded in ourselves and have different sorts of routines, whether it be affirmations. You know, we, we talk about affirmations or we do affirmations in the morning or we have that specific self-talk, you know, going into a meeting maybe. Um, I know for me before bed, I do um, stretching and I do gratitude journaling and different things like that that has really been able to help me ground myself and help me to move into my success as well. So do you have anything particular like that that you do that also helps you keep your mental health in check? Such a great question, um, Sarah. Honestly, such a great question um, and such an important one. Absolutely, 100%. Yes, I do. And, and I would say that it, it took me it took me quite quite a while in my career path to recognize the necessity of identifying those things for my own mental health. I think that's just so so important. So so some of the things that I do. So I I do uh, get up pretty early in the morning. I'm usually up um, you know around five o'clock in the morning where I am. And I get up early because I typically spend about an hour to an hour and a half first thing in the morning when no one else is awake and I, and I read. And I, you know, I usually read a personal development book. Um, I'm currently reading a book by David Goggins called Can't Hurt Me, but it, it helps create uh, a nice quiet environment for me and usually my, my coffee and I spend some time reading. And usually it's, it's a book that helps me think about improving myself or improving my life or my environment. So I, I do that every day as a first point. It's like a nice quiet time. Um, during the workday, I actually, believe it or not, as a chief technology officer, I, I don't utilize as many technology tools as I probably should when it comes to keeping my work life organized. <laughs> but I am very much a pen and paper person. And so throughout the course of the day, I do create and I use uh, multicolored highlighters. This is so silly. Oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm laughing as I'm telling I love it. I love it because I am a pen to paper person. As well. <laughs> so I, I take my notes from my meetings that I'm in. I, I highlight actions that others have taken from those meetings and one color actions I've taken from the meeting and another to ensure that I just keep I keep track of what's going on through the day. Because I do have very meeting-filled days. It's just the nature, I guess, of, of the work environment we live in right now. And particularly as I am a remote-based uh, employee, a lot of my time is spent on, on the phone. And so then my next routine is at the end of the day, I, I look over all those yellow highlighted actions that I took. And I try to knock a few of them off before I close out my day. And so I prioritize them. I look at them. I, I see what I can knock off. And usually that's about 
you know, four o'clock or so, four thirty, five o'clock in my day, I'm knocking down some of those those yellow highlighted items that I can. So that way I don't wake up the next morning and feel like everything just continually builds and builds and builds, right? So I, I'm prioritizing, I'm looking and I'm, I'm knocking some actions down. And then separate and apart from that, I, I, um, I'm a health and fitness coach actually on the side. And so really? fitness and wellness is an incredibly important aspect of my life. And so I actually have a, a group of women that I, I connect with uh, in the morning and in the evening where we're, you know, we're sharing our food journaling, we're sharing our workouts, we, you know, I create meal plans, I, I help people on a health and wellness journey, and I keep myself on a health and wellness journey. So when I disconnect from, from work, I am very disconnected from work, and I focus on, on those types of things that keep me grounded in the health and wellness space. And then lastly, I live in the mountains of Denver, Colorado, so on the weekends, my mental health is spent on the ski slopes, on our snowmobiles, on our four-wheelers. We get out into nature. We spend our entire weekend outdoors. And that is a very freeing and I think real – a lot of times we spend our weekends either on phone, on our phones, on the computer. You know, technology overtakes our lives. So, again, maybe a little strange coming from someone in my role. I actually like to disconnect from technology over the course of the weekend and get outside. I love that and so important because, you know, nature really creates that, I, I don't even know what to call it, but it it creates that grounding. It makes you feel like you're grounded and more connected, not connected with technology, but more connected in in the world and with other people if you're spending that time with other people as well. So yes. I think that... And I love the fact that you are supporting other women in health and fitness. Yes. And, you know, giving those meal plans and, and, um, you know, talking about your food journaling. I love that. I think that that's super important because, you know, on one hand, you're disconnecting from technology. You're getting everything that you need from nature. But then again, you're connecting with other women on a topic that, you know, you guys are very passionate about and keeping each other accountable. That's right. That's right. And, and a lot of the women that I, have in my groups and in, in my accountability groups are are professional women in in you know in very high stress roles and that is the type of, of woman that struggles with those kinds of things making time for yourself making time to understand what's healthy sometimes it's really easy to be convenient etc so it, it's something I added to my life in the last uh, two and a half years and uh it's, it's fantastic. And typically those conversations evolve and you start talking about other aspects of your life because wellness is obviously much more than, than food and exercise. It's so much more than your mental state. Absolutely. So then what would you say is the single most important takeaway or piece of advice you wish that our listeners would take away from our conversation today? <laughs> Maybe something actionable that they can put into action right away that will help with maybe their, you know, mental health checks and not feeling overwhelmed. Or maybe it's a piece of advice about your career, you know, about a career in the technology space, whatever you feel that, that you want to leave the listeners with, by all means, what, what do you think that that would be? So my, my one piece of advice, and this is, this is actually a very, it can be tough and it has been tough for me even to figure out how to create this over the course of my career, both, you know, professionally in my career, as well as personally in my life. And that is discipline, discipline. 
it is one thing to be a knowledge consumer. It's one thing to constantly be curious and learning new things, but it's the actions and the discipline you take for, with that knowledge that becomes incredibly important. Um, if you, if you want to be disciplined in your life, you want to create those moments of quiet time. Um, I, I don't like to use the word balance, but I mean, some people use that as, as the term where you, you want to create that opportunity to be successful in your career and successful in your personal life. You have to be incredibly disciplined to implement the frameworks that you hear about, whether that is carving the time out for yourself in the morning, meetings you have to get up at five o'clock. People don't like that. They want their sleep. Okay, then recognize that's a choice you're making, right? That choices you're making is to sleep instead of have that quiet time. Then you're not, you know, then don't complain about not having the quiet time, right? That's a, it's kind of a tough love thing, right? So take the knowledge that you learn, whether it's personal knowledge, professional knowledge, when you are intellectually curious in all aspects of your life, you then have to do something with it, implement it and be disciplined about it. Absolutely. Such great advice for both personal and business, right? So now let's talk a little bit about your future. What is next for Denise? <laughs> that's a wow. That's a great question too. Um, well, you know, I, and from a professional perspective, I, I've been in the role I'm in now. It'll be, um, it's two years and, and two, well, it'll be two years coming up later this year. Uh, it's been a wild ride. I still have a lot more to do here at Flash. I'm very excited about the opportunity that's in front of us. We've made tremendous strides forward and change in many aspects of my department. And so I see a lot of continued opportunity and growth and change that still has to come. So that that's kind of professionally what's next for me. Um, from a personal perspective, I'm not sure, Sarah. We, we're actually... Um, we're going to be spending some time in Canada over our March, uh, March break. I call it March break, uh, spring break later in the month here. And uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe in my future, it'll take me back, uh, back home. Wow. I love that. So, so much amazingness coming to you from Denise today. Go and flex that discipline muscle. And I had so much fun getting to know you, Denise, in this episode. And, you know, I'm honored to have you as a part of my woman in supply chain. I think a lot of people are going to learn from your story, your advice and everything that you have shared with us today. Thank you so much for giving me, you know, and trusting me to be able to tell that story for you. For more information about Denise, go to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 57. And uh, we'll have more information about Flash Global as well, because they were just on the show not too long ago. So thank you again, Denise, for coming on the show today. Thanks so much, Sarah. It was my pleasure. If you liked this episode, make sure to check out the others in my Woman in Supply Chain series. And you can find all of them under the podcast tab at letstalksupplychain.com. And again, if you want to learn more about Flash Global and what the heck is a global supply chain services company, go to season two dash episode 48. Next week, Rob Garrison, CEO and founder of Mercado Labs is on the show to talk about everything they are up to in the supply chain tech space. Make sure to 
tune in to find out more. Find out what they're working on because their platform is pretty cool and they are doing some crazy things in supply chain. If you want to help support the show, there's a few ways to do that. One is to go and check out and purchase my supply chain dictionary, 107 pages of supply chain definitions and acronyms to help you be successful in supply chain. Go and rate and review the show on iTunes and Stitcher so other people can find the show as well. I will feature your review on an upcoming episode. Go to ships.com. That's S S H I P Z dot com. It's the platform, the technology platform that I am working on. You put in your information there and you're going to be one of the first to know once we are ready to launch. And lastly, follow us. Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram because every single Wednesday, I start some really amazing conversations with the supply chain questions that I get from you. So if you have a question, send that in to listener at letstalksupplychain.com. Thank you again for tuning in today. I hope you all have an amazing day. And remember everybody, ship happens. Ship happens.